I had a, a very interesting uh, pre-medical experience or a pre-medical school. I was in the priesthood, worked in an oil refinery. So You worked in an oil refinery as a priest? No, that was after. <laughs> you became a priest. No, no, no. I, I, I dropped out. Or they kicked me out. I don't quite remember. <laughs> and you went straight to the oil fields. Yeah, yeah. I, I, there may be an association because people usually work in oil fields. I can see why they might jump you out of the priesthood. <laughs> Hi, I'm Todd Fredericks, uh, Assistant Professor of Family Medicine at Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine in Athens, Ohio, and this is Rotations. And Nisarg Bakshi is our host, OMS2. Yes, hello. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, my name is Nisarg Bakshi, second-year medical student at Ohio University Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine. And today we're here uh, joined by Stephen McNulty, one of my colleagues and uh, a friend of the show. He's been on a, a couple other episodes as well to talk about his work in photography. And we wanted to talk to him a little bit about how he got involved with his art and how it affects uh, his view on medicine. Uh, so thank you very much for joining us, Stephen. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, of course. Glad to have you back. And we also, of course, have our usual person off the street, uh, almost literally off the street, but this time out of the library. Uh, he was studying for boards, and we couldn't allow that. So, Stephen, let's, uh, let's start off with a little bit of information about you. Um, let's talk about how you got involved with photography. Sure. Uh, so uh, I was actually always a, a, a biology student. Uh, my first degree was actually from down the street at Hawking College in uh, ecotourism and adventure travel. Uh, but I started off at uh, Ohio State uh, just studying biology. We and don't mention that name here. Well, yeah, it didn't go well at all. <laughs> and Ohio State. I'm going to channel the one thing I like about J.K. Rowling, and that is the school whose name shall not be mentioned. <laughs> so uh, uh, the school who, who shall not be mentioned, and I parted ways, and I was going to just get a one-way ticket to the jungle and never come back. I, was gonna, I had my uh, little binder with all of my medicinal herbs that I was going to forage, and I was just going to run away and never come back. And then I found out I could get a degree for that over at Hawking College. So I transferred over there. I spent four years on a two-year degree and uh, <laughs> traveled all over the place. And um, while I was traveling, my sister made me buy a decent camera so I could show her all of the amazing places I was going. Uh, and it just so happened a lot of the places I was going, really famous photographers were also going. So uh, I just kind of started hounding them. And I said, why do yours look like the postcard and mine look like garbage? And uh, it just kind of <laughs> snowballed out of control from there. And I just asked a lot of questions. Um, some of those questions got me really good uh, internships. Um, I wound up studying under a guy named Art Wolf out in uh, Seattle, who's a, a very uh, prolific wildlife photographer, um, and just kind of gained my education that way. Um, and then eventually, uh, after, oh, maybe eight or so years of doing that, I wound up being put in charge of a, a high-end photography gallery in, in Canton, Ohio, in my hometown. Um, and that actually was as, as critical to my photography education as any field work I ever did. Um, I got to work with a lot of really famous photographers and, and shoot in the field with them, and um, we had a really great research library, um, and I got to curate a fantastic collection of photography. Sure. So well, you were never formally educated in photography. No, sir. It was all experiential. Yeah. And so what sorts of photos did you start out taking and which ones do you take now? Well, again, because I was studying biology, I was always interested in, in, in wildlife. So usually my shoots always started with um, some certain biome I was interested in or a certain species I wanted to photograph. So I spent a few months in Peru working with uh, poison frogs. Um, I spent two summers in Alaska shooting grizzly bears. Um, and then I went down to New Zealand uh, to study marine biology and spent a lot of time learning landscapes down there. 
So when did when did all this interest in in seeing the world and seeing all these different types of wildlife? When did that become an interest in medicine? Well, uh, you know, it 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 was quite haphazard. Um, I always studied biology, but I never had any designs to become a doctor. It was not even on my radar, uh, especially after things did not go well at Ohio State. Um, the school that shall be not be mentioned. Uh, at the school that shall not be mentioned, <laughs> yeah. Um, it just uh, it wasn't even on my radar uh, until 2011 when I went back to New Zealand uh, to start another semester there. I was studying biosecurity, and uh, I got in on Friday on uh, Tuesday, I had gone to one lecture, and on my way into the city to drop off some resumes, there was a massive earthquake uh, that destroyed Christchurch. Um, I was on a bus when it happened, and uh, obviously there was instant gridlock. The whole city was shut down, uh, so I had no choice but to get off the bus and walk home on foot through an active volcano or an active earthquake. Um, so the whole city was, you know, be covered in liquefaction. Liquefaction was coming from everywhere, and it's kind of like quicksand. And it was about a five-mile walk back to my apartment. Uh, I got home. My apartment was wrecked. Um, I just grabbed my camera bag and my boots and went back into the city and just started photographing everything that I saw. Um, So I was there for a a few weeks afterwards. Um, School obviously was off. Um, I had hired people back home to run my companies for me. Um, And, you know, I was due to get a, a refund from school. So I had time and I had some liquid assets coming to me. And I knew this was a big opportunity, but I didn't know what to do with it. Um, so I literally went to bed and prayed for guidance. I was like, what am I supposed to be doing with this time? I'm supposed to be somewhere doing something right now. What is it? Uh, and I woke up in the morning and Japan was all over the news for the, the massive tsunami that hit Japan. Um, so I found out about it about 9 a.m. Uh, by noon, I had a one-way ticket and by 3 p.m. I was on a flight to Tokyo. (laughs) Uh, And it was literally the first plane to land in Tokyo after the tsunami, we found out. I shot there for a few weeks until I was evacuated uh, and then just went down to Borneo and started photographing uh, in Asia. And that's kind of how I fell in love with Asia. Um, And I've, I've been back a few times since. Sure. So you were never trained to photograph natural disasters. You were trained in wildlife, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I just I just photograph what's in front of me. Yeah. And, um, you know, the hardest thing for me has always been doing portraiture. Mm-hmm. Uh, I find portraiture very difficult yeah. um, because it's so intimate and you have to be so comfortable with yourself uh, <laughs> in order to get comfortable with your subject and for your subject to be comfortable with you. Mm-hmm. When you're in a natural disaster, you don't really have time to be uncomfortable. (laughs) You're just photographing what's in front of you and you're documenting, um, and you're still a little bit preoccupied with not being voyeuristic um, or um, um, being opportunistic. You know, that's uh, that's critical to me. Um, And there are some photographers who act that way, uh, but they aren't generally respected in the field. Um, somebody we mentioned uh, in, our, in, a, in another show was James Noftway, um, and he has such a depth of, of uh, ethos and, and humanitarianism uh, in what he does that he's able to connect with his subjects and tell their story in, in such an amazingly compassionate way um, that he, he, he's just uh, beyond reproach. And is that what you try to achieve with your photographs? Uh, uh, with much less effect, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> sure. uh, yeah, you know, maybe in 20 or 30 years, I'll, I'll approach his level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So, you know, at this point now you're, you're in Asia and you've been doing a lot of photography. Mm-hmm. How did that translate then to an interest in medicine? So, uh, yeah, after those four months, I got home and um, I wound up losing a close friend uh, shortly after I got home. And all of that together just kind of made photography seem um, a little less than. You know, it was it was a great life. I, I enjoyed it. Um, um, I reached all of my goals, and I was doing things that a 25-year-old ought not do in the photography world. Um, so I was very happy. But it just didn't have the same um, satisfaction after I got home from that trip because I couldn't do anything personally for those people who were uh, affected. You know, I, could, I, I had no training. I had taken the first aid class. But I, I personally could not do anything for those people who were affected. And that just, I, it was intolerable to me. Sure. So then, you know, after, after all this happened, did you come home? Like the first thing you did was apply to medical school or was it kind of a, a process where you thought, how can I help these people? What are my options? And then decide on medical school. It was, um, it was definitely an evolution. Uh, on the trip while I was in Asia, I wound up joining up with a research crew from the University of Akron. Uh, of all things. Uh, so I'm from Northeast Ohio, which is where the University of Akron is. And their research crew was in uh, French Polynesia. So I flew down to meet them and I was very impressed by them. And I wound up going back to New Zealand, packing up my apartment, matriculating back home to the University of Akron, um, sold the fancy car in the big house, moved in with mom, <laughs> bought a Hyundai and went back to school. Um, and it was it was a few months before I made it known what I was doing. You know, I was just mm-hmm. studying biology, which is what I had always done. Mm-hmm. Um, but I hadn't I, I wasn't comfortable enough telling people yet. So sure. it probably took about two semesters or so before I declared myself pre-med. How soon, Stephen, how soon from the time of the earthquake did you have your work show up in major media? A couple days. Yeah, I think this is interesting because you, you felt the need to help people, and yet if it hadn't been for images being projected around the world about the impact of what was going on there, mm-hmm. people aren't necessarily motivated. They don't, yeah. I mean, visual imagery is tremendously powerful in getting people to move. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, you were helping people, you just didn't, you just didn't understand the directory. It was a, it was a third or fourth order effect right. of what you were doing. Right, Yeah. Yeah, and that was, and it was, it was also tough because, you know, there, there's emergency crews everywhere and they're trying to do their job and I obviously don't want to get in the way of their job, but they needed more than they had. Um, and, and, and I wasn't going to sit there and have a philosophical argument with them about what I was trying to do. Um, but more than once I got chased away, uh, from different scenes and, and I understand that. Um, and I didn't want to get in the way at all, but like you're saying, that's, that work brought in engineers from Singapore. It brought in rescue queues from Australia. Um, and that's, that is kind of what got me through and that's how I could do what I was doing again, because it's very you're terrified of, of doing doing something to be predatory, you know, when you're using a camera uh, because there's so much negative media and there is, there is stigma. Um, and a lot of times people reactively put their hands in front of their face when they see a lens, uh, especially if you're shooting with, a, you know, a big camera. Um, people don't like that. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a fine line and it's, it's, it's tough to balance. And when you made the switch then to decide to go into medicine, you know, you sold your big car and fancy house, uh, did you doubt yourself, you know, in those months afterwards, were you 100% sure of what you were doing? Oh, absolutely not. I was so scared. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, you know, uh, 
one thing my, my parents and my dad in particular have always taught me is that you just kind of got to go for it. You just got to commit. Uh, and especially with medicine, it, it's that old, uh, what's the saying, reach for the stars and you might just land on the moon or something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, I figured if I shoot high, maybe if I don't achieve that, I might catch something else that, you know, maybe maybe that's not my mission. Maybe my mission is something I don't even know about right now. Um, and that's something I've always taken comfort oh. in. Looking at where you are now and, and where you were before, did you make the right decision? For me, yeah. Yeah. And and, uh, and this was the right school for me. And the year, so I had a gap year and it was awful. The gap year between undergrad and medical school, or even if you're just a senior in undergrad, the application process to medical school is demoralizing. Yeah. Why? Uh, it's because you. I've never faced so much rejection in my entire life. Do you still shoot photos? Yeah, I'm actually headed to Indonesia next week. Uh, so, and this is going to be kind of my first time marrying my medical education with my photography. Uh, so, the mission of this trip is to look for a, a future site of a clinic that I'd like to open. Uh, so, last summer I actually did uh, six countries all over Asia, and I was looking for a country with the right balance of need uh, and resources. Uh, and I really loved my time in Indonesia, and I decided to explore further. So, now this year we're doing five islands. Uh, and I'm taking a small team with me. Um, and this is a, an informal survey. So this is, uh, for any of the research faculty listening, this is more of a photographic trip than a, <laughs> than a formal research or medical trip. Uh, so there's, uh, we're not going to be doing any interviews or, or surveys or anything like that. Um, but this is to inform a, a later uh, uh, study. So this will help us design a, a more robust research uh, uh, study that we can do maybe in December or next summer. Sure. And, and that's just that's really interesting to me because, you know, you started out, you mentioned you started out as almost a documentarian, right? Mm -hmm. Like you are documenting these people and that's going to bring them help via other means. But now, you know, you're switching gears uh, rather than documenting, you're directly involved, mm -hmm. right? So can you talk about that transition? What, what's that like? Sure. Um, so... Uh, Again, to, to mention James Noctway, there's a, a great uh, documentary about Noctway and his work. And there was one time when he broke down and intervened because he was going to see uh, someone executed in the street. And uh, he took it upon himself to stand in front of the, the would-be executor. Uh, and I believe later that victim was killed. But this was the first time he... he put the camera down and, and said, in this moment, I'm not a photographer, I'm a human being. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, again, to go back to the reason I got into medicine, uh, I just, I couldn't stand being that bystander. Um, yes, the work went out and, and got much needed attention, um, but I, I am in a position to do more, so I feel that it is my responsibility to do more. And, and how do you balance that? I mean, it, the med school is hard enough to begin with. You know, how do you... How do you balance that with all your work? Balance. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I mean, um, to me, again, to, to, to hearken back to, to my, my dad and, and how he uh, helped me get through early life, you just have to commit to it. You mm -hmm. have to say, I am going to do this. Um, and then you carve out the time for it. And it just falls into place. Mm -hmm. the, the difficult thing is to identify when a hurdle is a challenge that needs met and when a hurdle is something steering you in another direction. Mm -hmm. um, because sometimes, you know, the, the, what's the, the anecdote? The best way to make God laugh is to make a plan. Mm -hmm. um, 
rarely do plans go the way they're supposed to. Um, and that's fine. You have to be fluid and you have to be able to, to change and, and, and meet new challenges. But a lot of obstacles are there because what you're trying to do is the wrong thing or it's not where you need to be right there. Um, and that's one of the hardest things to recognize. So, so let's go ahead and make God laugh then. What, <laughs> what, is, what is your plan? Where, where do you see yourself uh, five years, ten years down the road? Uh, okay, well, um, so one of my passions, the things I like to lay in bed at night and think about is uh, small businesses. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I have an entrepreneurial spirit, and that's where this uh, clinic comes from. So this clinic is... Um, really just my first clinic. Uh, and the mission of this one is to, A, provide care for people who otherwise may not have access to care, but also serve as a home base uh, for um, uh, rapid response to humanitarian crisis in Southeast Asia. So I'd like to have, you know, a small group of, of uh, clinicians who can be on hand or can uh, get to that site quickly, uh, and we will have resources available which can respond uh, anywhere within a, a given radius. Does uh, photography fit into this, uh, in these pet projects that you have going on? Um, photography is my, um, my outlet. Photography is my vent. Mm -hmm. um, I'm no longer really exhibiting. I no longer travel shows. Uh, in fact, all of the work I've produced here in Athens is still on memory cards. It's not even on my computers yet. Mm -hmm. uh, I just don't have time to edit or, or print or, or hard proof or anything like that. So it's strictly just for me, um, and I'm okay with that. Yeah. Well, you know, you mentioned having an outlet. Do you think that's important, not just as a medical student, but as a physician? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah um, and as Dr. Gibson said in a, in a previous show, you know, everybody has to have that, that way to get their mind off of medicine so that it's not all-consuming yeah. um, because you can kind of go down too far down that rabbit hole mm -hmm. um, and then you may be facing um, overwork rather than burnout or, or, or what have you. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you just might lose yourself, and you're not going to be a fun person to be around. You're not going to be a good, uh, a good family member. Mm -hmm. uh, you're probably not going to be a good coworker. Absolutely. And, and this reminds me, too, of kind of something that you mentioned and something we've talked about with Dr. Gibson is that connection with someone when you're trying to uh, represent them in some art form, whether that's photography or painting. And you alluded to the difficulty of that, mm -hmm. right? Because natural people's natural reaction is to cover their face mm -hmm. and, and not want to be seen in that way. So... Do you think then that having that experience as a photographer and having that experience in getting people to kind of lower their shell has helped you connect with patients at all? It does. Uh, I kind of differed with Dr. Gibson in that way. Um, I, I definitely think that uh, my photography has helped me learn how to connect with people. Uh, and actually, I was um, we had tried to start a book project with uh, Neomed uh, and photographing patients uh, and kind of their worst moments and, and kind of changed the way patients and pathology are, are represented in the medical textbooks. Uh, and I've since found out there's actually somebody who's been very successful with this. Um, and his, uh, I'm sorry, his name escapes me, but the brilliant thing he did was he picked one illness and he photographed that illness um, and he photographed those people in their best um, and kind of gave that illness a face that wasn't necessarily a handicap. Um, and it's he, he does it in a very brilliant way. And he's done several diseases now. I think he's maybe up to a half a dozen different diseases now. And all of his work is nonprofit, and it all goes to whatever foundation is set up for that, that illness. Uh, I tell you what I am a little bit concerned about, and this is the whole point of media and medicine, is, is not just – you told me you've got all these memory cards, right? And memory degrades over time. And, and one of the things I found 
and we talk about this in the military medicine side, there's very few photographs of us actually doing our work. Because yeah. when you're in the midst of doing it, you're not taking pictures, you're putting right. an airway in someone, right? And and it's not self, uh, self-aggrandizing. It's I have no photographic record of the cases that I took care of because I was too busy taking care of the cases. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important if you have a visual talent or a, 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 a prose talent, something to convey that, mm-hmm. um, it's important that it gets exercised as well. And finding a balance for you to be able to be a clinician as well as being able to use your skills to to document that stuff while you're doing it and while other people are, man, don't, don't be afraid to do that because it's necessary. Yeah. But I'd like to see more of that done that we codify these various specialties and their moments with those patients and what's going on because there's an emotional factor there that is part of the humanity of medicine. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think we capture it well enough. I don't. Yeah. And I, I think that leads to a, a t- tendency to forget that that's part of the process. Well, yeah, it's it's been great talking to you, Stephen, uh, and and we're wrapping up here. So, Trevor, you know, you've been you've been sitting on the panel uh, as our resident person off the library today. Um, <laughs> the the Paul, the Paul. <laughs> Do you have any questions for Stephen, or any comments based on what we've talked about? Yeah, as I would just like to know, Stephen, um, like, what are your thoughts about uh, just being like a non traditional like student? Like, what is the what benefit does age think that you've got? And I'm not saying you're old, you know. <laughs> How old are you, Stephen? Uh, on mean, air. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm 34. Well, that's, that's, yeah. Yeah. Oh my it's gosh, not too far away. <laughs> well, it's, uh, it, it's, it isn't, but in some ways, I mean, it, it, to make light of it, it, nobody really gets my, my, my references. You know, I, you know, I like to quote television and movies from the 80s and early 90s, and yeah. you were probably born in 92, 91? No, no, I'm 29. Oh, okay. I, okay. I feel, Remember, I feel, he's a priest <laughs> and he worked at a, 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 right, a right, seminary right. kid yeah. and worked in the oil field. I, I, I feel the same way. Yeah. You know, your, your jokes are like five years behind. <laughs> <laughs> but it does make you somewhat removed from a lot of your colleagues who are a full decade younger. Um, uh, and uh, I'll, I'll get to one more negative before I get to my positives, and that is that uh, Dr. Fredericks made the point uh, in another show that um, you, your brain does kind of slow down, and you know, I'm, I'm only 10 years older, but I do find it harder now, and I do find it takes longer to study and to, to absorb the material. Uh, in undergrad, I... Um, you know, I just, I think I maybe burned myself out in undergrad. You know, I, I, I studied so hard in undergrad and now when I get here, I'm just, it's a grind (laughs) to get through the material. Um, but on the upside, you know, I have had this wealth of, of, of experience and I get to use that in my everyday. Um, and especially with like pharmacology, pharmacology is like learning another language. You learn it one drug at a time, you learn a new language, one word at a time. And I've had 10 more years of learning one drug at a time. Um, either from going to the doctor myself and getting prescribed all these drugs or watching commercials or re-watching Grey's Anatomy or what have you. Uh, and actually, Grey's Anatomy did get me a point on my practice boards yesterday. That's a reference I do understand. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, and it's also great for scholarships. I'll throw that out there. I'm, I'm now completely uh, 100% paid for. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Stephen. Thanks for having us. Yeah, especially he, he does have boards next week. So. <laughs> <laughs> and Trevor as well. Yeah. Uh, uh, we apologize for pulling you out of the library. But this was more fun anyway, right? Oh, definitely. <laughs> and just remember, there's no possible way I could pass your board exam now. <laughs> so that for whatever that's worth, just keep that in mind. There's no possible way any of your attendees could pass your board exams now. <laughs>
Yeah, well, thank you everyone for tuning in as well. Uh, this has been another episode of Rotations. Thank you very much. Rotations is the weekly podcast of all things medical and is part of the media and medicine family of medical storytelling. Rotations is a product of the Ohio University Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine and the Scripps College of Communication. Rotations is hosted by Nasarj Bakshi, produced by Todd Fredericks, audio engineered by Kyle Snyder, and video edited by Brian Plough. Rotations is co-hosted by a league of champions of all things medical and a few people we pull off the street. Rotations is copyrighted, and while we welcome citations, tweets, Facebook likes, and other endorsements via word of mouth and social media, we reserve all rights to content. You may use Rotations content under the provisions of Creative Commons, but you cannot alter or edit the content in any manner without express permission of the content creators, and you must cite Rotations as the source of any content derived from the podcast. We welcome any comments, and you can contact us by emailing us at rotationspodcast at gmail.com. Tweeting us at rotationspcast or by visiting mediainmedicine.com slash rotations.